This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is a continuation of the It Really Happened series. My job is to show you other historical events that the resurrection really happened and how the miraculous events that happened were recorded by people outside the Bible. And hopefully it can strengthen our faith. I'm not the best at pronouncing some of these names, so (laughs) I wish they were George or Bob. So you're just going to have to bear with me on some of this. They'll be on the screen, and we can talk about it afterwards because I'm telling you. Do you believe in Abraham Lincoln? According to the United States Library of Congress, we have just over 20,000 documents written by Abraham Lincoln from 1833 to 1916. The documents that describe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which have survived time and decay, are 24,593. That means we know more about Jesus and the events surrounding his life, death, and resurrection than we do the 16th president of the United States. I found that to be a fun fact. In Matthew 27 and 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. Thallius wrote a history of the eastern Mediterranean world since the Trojan War. Thallius wrote this regional history in about A.D. 52. Unfortunately, his original writings have been lost. However, he is specifically quoted by Julius Africanus, and Africanus was a renowned third-century historian. Africanus stated, Thallius, in his third book of histories, explains away the darkness of an eclipse of the sun, unreasonably as it seems to me. Thallius attempted to give us a naturalistic explanation to the darkness during during the crucifixion. Let opinion pass, however, let it carry the majority with it, and let this portent of the world be deemed an eclipse of the sun, like others a portent only to the eye. Flagan records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at the full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, manifestly that one which we speak of, which which of, of which we speak. But what has an eclipse in common with an earthquake and rending rocks and the resurrection of the dead? And so great a retribution throughout the universe, surely no such event as this is recorded for a long period. So according to explainingspace.com, a sol- explaining the solar eclipse part of that, A total solar eclipse can last for up to 7 minutes and 32 seconds. But but the partial phase of the eclipse can last about an hour before it is completely over. The annual solar eclipse, on the other hand, can last up to 10 minutes. So the duration of a solar eclipse depends on where you are in the world and what type of eclipse you are seeing. But to have total darkness for three hours with an eclipse is not possible. Africanus composed 
a five-volume history of the world around A.D. 221. He also, he was also a pagan convert to Christianity. Africanus writes, On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness Thallius in the third book of his history calls an appearance to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. For the Hebrews celebrate the Passover on the 14th day according to the moon, and the passion of our Savior falls on the day before the Passover. But an eclipse of the sun takes place only when the moon comes under the sun, and it cannot happen at any other time. But in the interval between the first day of their of the new moon and the last day of the old, that is at their junction. How then should an eclipse be supposed to happen when the moon is almost diametrically opposite the sun? In Matthew 27 and 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from, t from the top to the bottom, the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And on 52 here, we're going to look at it here and then I'm going to come back to it here in a little bit. But And the graves were opened. This happened at the crucifixion. That, that colon there is a stopping point. And many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. This happened at the resurrection. Like I said, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to come back to that here in a minute. Secular geologist Jefferson Williams and the supersonic geophysical and colleague Marcus Schwab and Aikum Breyer of the German Research Center for Geosciences researched the Dead Sea and revealed at least two major earthquakes occurred, a widespread earthquake in 31 BC and a seismic event that happened sometime between 20, years 26 and 36. Thus, this earthquake is clearly the one at Jesus' crucifixion. So if you look at this chart here, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about this is the 31 B.C. I'm going to read that here in a minute, but that's that thin layer they're talking about at the A.D. 33. 13 inches above the 31 B.C. event bed is another distinctive mixed layer, less than one inch thick. That one right there. This sediment rate put the second earthquake about 65 years after the 31 B.C. earthquake. 31 B.C. plus 65 years equals 33 A.D. There is direct physical evidence of a thin layer of disturbed sediment from the Dead Sea of an earthquake around 33 A.D. The evidence also shows it likely to have been a magnitude 5.5. These are powerful evidences for the history of the darkness at the crucifixion and the earthquake. These were real historical events. In Matthew 27 and 62, Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, 
We remember that when the deceiver said, talking about Jesus there, calling him the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that, we, that the scepter be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. So they're already coming up with an explanation of what they're going to say if this happens. Already coming up, preparing a lie. And say unto his people, he is risen from the dead, and so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Do you reasonably, be, reasonably think that they didn't know how to seal the stone? Or the guards didn't know what they were doing? They didn't know how to guard the tomb? I mean, we're talking about Roman soldiers. If the guards didn't do their job, they would have great punishment. Most of the time that was crucifixion. In Matthew 28 and 1, in the end of the, the day, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began the dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake. This is a second earthquake. One at the crucifixion, one at his resurrection. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. So the sepulchers or graves there, you can tell the large stone and how it would be rolled into place and how it's kind of elevated there. And it would cover the opening and it's got rocks, got a wall there in front so it wouldn't be easily overturned to the forward position too. You can kind of see in this picture here a little better way. Once that stone was put into place, it would be a great chore to get that to move and get it out of place, much less with securing it and, and setting watch on it. So in Matthew 28 and 12, and when they were assembled with the elders, this is after the resurrection, talking about the soldiers, they had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. So they'd already talked about it, their excuse, what they were going to say if this really happened. And now they're turning around and doing it. Why did they take counsel? Do you think the soldiers would sleep knowing that they would be killed if something happened? Crucified? Maybe. But what? But they go tell what happened and are given large money. Why, why do most of the time somebody give somebody large money? I mean, it still happens today. It's corruptness. It's to get them to lie, to do what they want them to do. In Matthew 28 and 14, continuing on there, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Why did they need to be secured? He would kill them. He would crucify them for not doing their job. 
Okay, I said I'd come back to this 52. And, out, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So in 52, that's in 53. In 52, and the graves were open, had that stopping point, which happened at the crucifixion. And many of the bodies that, of the saints which slept arose, that happened at the resurrection. So for three days, you could walk around and look into these tombs, into these graves. See the bodies laying there because those tombs had been opened. Could you imagine what that would be like? Walking around and seeing dead bodies laying in the, the old graves opened? In John 20 and 5, And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped in a place by itself. So if somebody's going to come in and steal the body, why would they take the time to undress it? Would they not just get in, get the body, and get out, try not to get caught? It makes no sense that they would take time to undress it. Or wrap the napkin and lay it in a place by itself. It just makes sense that Jesus woke up, undressed, took this dressing off, laid it down, and walked out. That's what makes sense. It doesn't make sense that somebody would unwrap a dead body to carry it out. In Mark 16 and 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils. Afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and unbraided them with their unbeliefs and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after his, he was risen. So the apostles didn't believe that he was risen. Because others had seen him and told them about it, but they didn't believe it. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. That's why there were so many to tell the story. We don't read of all the accounts, but above 500, don't you know? I mean, could you imagine somebody walking into an event and walking in here, Jesus walking in here, we don't even have 500. Can you imagine how many people y'all would go tell? Hey, we saw that guy crucified. I mean, that's why that... The gospel would spread so quickly, spread, I mean, they saw it firsthand. Gaius Plinius, however you say that, Siconius, was Pliny the Younger, known as Pliny the Younger, was a lawyer, author, and magistrate of ancient Rome, the writer of ten books during the first century describing Christianity and several facts concerning Jesus. Pliny confirms the existence of Christians in the first century and their flourishing numbers 
due largely to their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Pliny informed the emperors that there was great concern, a widespread belief in the resurrection of Jesus would cause tremendous difficulties for the government of Rome. For this reason, those who believed in Jesus were put to death if they refused to repent and deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. I want to talk a little bit more about those that, are put, that were put to death. We'll do that here in just a little bit. Pliny also states that Christians were described as worshiping on Sunday. Pliny describes those who believed in Jesus and his resurrection as meeting regularly for worship. Pliny noted that the presence of Christianity in the world during the first century was so prevalent that many pagan temples had been abandoned. I, I found that Christianity was growing so much that the pagan temples were ba- abandoned. Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus, commonly known as Suetonius, was a Roman historian who wrote during the early imperial era of the Roman Empire. Secretary to, the, to Rome, Rome Emperor Hadrian in the first century. Suetonius, as a primary Roman historian, gives us further evidence that Jesus was known as Crestus in the archives of the Roman government, left to us by the writings of Suetonius. For more than 30 years, Suetonius had access to the imperial and centurial records or archives and many other complementary memoirs and public documents. So for 30 years, he had access to all of Roman, Rome's records to go through and other complementary documents and memoirs. According to the historical experts of, the first, of that period, much of the information left to us from Suetonius about the Roman Caesars came from eyewitness accounts. Unlike Tacitus, Suetonius fact-checked the material that was contained within the Roman archives for accuracy. According to Suetonius, Jesus was well known by the Roman government. He was known as Crestus, the one responsible for the disturbances reported by Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem. This is direct cooperation of the text of Tacitus, who also received information from the Roman archives. When we team both Tacitus and Suetonius together, there is no doubt that the text in the Roman records describing Jesus in Jerusalem creating a disturbance that resulted in his crucifixion under Pilate is a true record of these events. This serves as empirical evidence for Jesus as a genuine person of history in specific confirmation of the New Testament narrative of him. Suetonius said that the belief of Christians that Jesus died and rose again was viewed by the emperors as a dangerous superstition. If you look at this chart, this shows the projected growth of Christianity over about a 300-year period. 
Historic history records that early Christians were persecuted and killed by the Roman government for a 250-year period, beginning with Nero in 54 AD and ending with Diocletian in 313 AD. This is a kind of a list, this is the list of the 10 emperors over that 250-year period. Nero, while Nero was emperor, Paul was beheaded, Peter was crucified upside down, and you can look through there. I'll be happy to give you copies of this. But moving on, Diocletian there at the bottom, he killed more Christians over that 250-year period than all before him. We look back at that, and so once they started quit killing Christians there, look how it exploded. But it grew anyway, even though ten emperors went after trying to stomp the church out. So through that 250 years of killing Christians, an estimated five million were killed, crucified. Suetonius said that the entire reason that five million Christians were crucified over the 250-year period was period of time was due to their unwavering faith in the resurrection of Jesus. These people believed so much they were willing to be crucified for it. Five million of them willing to be crucified for it. Do you have that faith? Do you think they had any doubt what happened? They knew he rose. They knew Jesus got up out of the grave. So as I close, no credible biblical scholar today believes that Jesus was not a real person in history. The evidence for his existence is so overwhelming that to deny Jesus lived in Galilee at the time depicted by the New Testament would place any writer in a classification of incompetency. So no credible scholar argues the Bible. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.